Welcome to the Carl Reader Show. Hello and welcome to the Be Your Own Boss Show. Now today I've got an extremely special guest and it's not often that I say extremely, I normally just say very special, but I'm saying extremely because I count this person as my personal mentor, my business coach, and a personal friend as well. So it means a lot to me to have him on the show. It's David Holland. Dave, hello. Good afternoon. Good to hear you. I've been, I've been called special a few times, I have to tell you. <laughs> so Dave, listen, to, to, start, to start the show off, I've, I've given quite a gushing intro about you, but it'll be really good to hear in your own words who Dave Holland is. My goodness, it's only supposed to be for a maximum an hour, isn't it? Okay, um, I'll go, go back in time a little bit. I came from a family of shopkeepers in, uh, in the West Midlands in Birmingham in the UK uh, donkeys years ago. And when the, that business began to sort of fall over, it, it, was, it was struggling because of the big box guys coming in. Um, I'm, I headed south. I went down to London. Um, I trained as a weapons engineer, sniper rifles and assault weapons for uh, Royal Ordnance at Enfield, the, uh, the weapons factory. Um, did that for a number of years, moved into logistics and transport and distribution. Um, but I remember when I was actually doing my, my training, I was given a couple of tips by people that really helped me on my way, that saw me through um, everything else that I was doing. And uh, I was on a train going into London because I couldn't afford the rent, couldn't afford heating. So I ended up eating at sort of charity shelters and that sort of thing in, in London. And a guy got onto the train in a very fancy uh, suit. And uh, he looked a bit, I felt, I think he thought he was, he was threatened by me, but he really wasn't. And anyway, we got chatting and I said to him after two or three minutes, um, how do I do what you do? How do I get to be on the other side of this bench in a nice suit and a briefcase and doing what you do? And he simply said, um, what you've got to do, he said, is just volunteer for stuff. So say yes, and then show up and, and do your best. And with that, literally the train came into Tottenham Hale Station. He jumped out, never saw him again. But that stuck with me as a lesson, if you like. And I've taken that through my career that went through logistics and transport into manufacturing, um, dressmaking, aviation services at Heathrow, our own businesses in the UK and everything else we've done since. Fantastic. Fantastic. And um, you refer back to that story. So I've, I've heard this story before. I'm not going to pretend that it's news to me, uh, but you refer to it um, as a jam song. Am I right? Yeah, well, I call him my uh, my David Watts because he was sort of the, if anyone knows the, the, the jam song, David Watts, uh, it was actually a cover of the Kink song as well. But the words, you know, David Watts is up there. He's the captain of the team. He does everything well. This guy, to me, was David Watts. He was just up there. He was you know, living his life, nice suit, great career, and I wanted to be like him. Uh, I wish I could be like David Watts. And so it stuck with me as a, as a cool song, but also a message for, for me on my, my journey too. Brilliant. Okay, so Dave, you went through the uh, the corporate career, um, you went through various jobs, but I, what I would like to do is to focus on a couple of key times within your journey where you made some particularly brave decisions and really talk about those a little bit more because one of the issues with people who are looking to either become their own boss or even those who are trapped within their own business is that they often lack confidence to make those brave decisions. And you've been someone who's been there, seen it and done it. So the first one I'd like to touch on is your brave move to Las Vegas. 
Um, it's the it's the stuff of dreams to many people. Um, how did that come about? It was well. First of all, we were a part of a, um, a franchise organisation, Action International, as it was, or Action Coach, as it is now. And we completed our initial five-year term and did very well. It was, you know, business and life was good. And so we actually decided, and we, as Lynn and I, as you know, we run the businesses together. We decided not to renew the the franchise, and we were going to stay put in the UK and and go and do our own thing. And then literally had a you know a sort of phone call out of the blue from the chap who owned um, the business, who I knew anyway, who owned the franchise, a guy called Brad Sugars. And um, he basically said, look, you know, there's an opportunity over here for you. Um, come to Vegas and you can help us develop and build the training and, and the systems and structure of the franchise. We think you could add real value to it. And it was almost literally a phone call out of the blue. And I said, I said, yes, I thought that'd be great. Thanks very much. And sort of put the phone down and um, turned to Lynn and said, guess where we're going? And then we're off to Vegas. <laughs> and it was literally, wow. and, 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 and Lynn, Lynn bless us, sort of went, oh, okay. Um, but within about a month, we sold everything and moved to Vegas. We took over uh, two suitcases each and uh, our two boys, teenagers, they came with us. And we rocked up in Vegas and uh, had a fabulous time over there. Fantastic. So um, obviously going from that phone call to say that you've got this opportunity to make a life changing decision and the fairly quick um, time in which you made that decision on the same phone call. Um, that, um, that's quite phenomenal that you, you managed to make that brave choice at that stage. Over that next month, what, what challenges did you come across? Um, did, you, did you have any fear about this or, or were you entirely confident that it would all be okay? Oh, entirely confident. No, I think, I mean, saying, yeah, first of all, the reason that I said yes is because international um, living, working and travel is always on our radar and opportunities for that, we, we sort of seek them out. So then when the opportunity came along, it fitted with what we wanted to do as you know, professionally and as a, as a couple and as a family. That was number one. It was on the vision board. Um, secondly, um, Brad, I trusted him. I'd known Brad during the franchise, my term as a franchisee, and I didn't need to have a contract or anything. I, I trusted him. Um, he's a good lad. And he said what he was going to do, and he did it, so I trusted him. Um, but thirdly, I think the most important one for me was... I trusted myself to be able to step up and and do this you know, bizarre, crazy project and move the family safely over there. So it's really a, tr- a trust thing. And when I when I came off the phone and said to Lynn, we've been together now for forty years, and I said to Lynn, I've got this opportunity going to Vegas, and and she was literally, well, great, you know, when do we go? It was no, there's no question that we weren't going to go. We were in sync on it. I wouldn't have said it. I wouldn't have said yes if it hadn't have been our joint dream, vision, goal as a, as, as a couple and as a family first. Sure. Um, and it was just a case, well, how do we make it happen? And off we went. Um, I, I didn't realise, of course, you had to get a visa to work in the US. That was, <laughs> that was just for mere details. Um, we, had, we, we sold the house, we sold the cars, and we gave the furniture away. And, and, and when we got there in, in Vegas, we sort of rocked up with, say, these two suitcases. And we literally, that, we, we owned nothing else. And we sort of got to McCarran, got a cab. We had a rental house we moved into. But having no mortgage, no possessions, no car, no credit card, no debt, nothing, was a wow. It was, that's fantastic. It was great being unencumbered by all this sort of stuff that we tend to build around ourselves. And, uh, yeah, there were challenges with it, but we had help from the guys over there. We got the visa sorted out, and, uh, and, and life was good. So I, I think if I'd have thought about it for too long, lots of excuses, a lot of reasons why we could have said no not to go to Vegas, because 2000 
2008, the recession just kicking in. There was lots of change going on, lots of stuff happening. And we could have you know, justified, we said, no, we're going to think about it. But then thinking about it to me is just putting off the inevitable to a certain extent. So, yeah, challenge, but no, we went for it. If it's on the vision board and it was where you guys were headed personally, then it, as you rightly say, it was inevitable it would happen. Um, so, so you adapted to life in the States. Um, I, I can only imagine how tricky it is as well, trying to adapt to another country, you know, learning the supermarkets, the utility providers, the stuff we take for granted. Um, so you, you did that and then moved to Europe. Yes, we came. We came. Well, we we, we decided. Um, we, we we love the US. We like being in Vegas. For anybody who's who's been to Vegas, it, it's fabulous for about four or five days. You know, it is. It's an incredible place. Um, we were there for a couple of years, and the, the, the novelty sort of wore off a little bit. I had to say, um, and we were looking for opportunities to come back to Europe if we could because of family commitments, that type of thing. And so we had an opportunity to come back over to um, live and work out of France, which was that that was always the the number one goal from having been on holiday camping in France uh, with the kids as babies. Almost uh, living and working in France was was the dream, and the opportunity came along. So again, we sold everything gave everything away and uh, I came we came back to France with um, a few suitcases a Ford Expedition SUV and a Harley Davidson night rod special and that was it and then we rocked up in France and almost was started over again pretty much brilliant okay so you'd gone through the bumps moving to America moved back to Europe um, however with a different language um, how would you compare the two moves was it was it easier having made such a big shift before uh, was it was it easier second time round, or was it more difficult with the change of um, change of language, change of environment? I think because, because um, as a, a couple, Lynn and I as a couple, we'd moved around the UK a lot to start off with. I think by the time John, who is now 30, the time he was 10 or 11, we'd had 10 houses in and around the UK from Bristol to Manchester. So moving was always okay for us. And the, the, the decision we took was that we'll, the family is where we are. So Lynn and I, John and Rich, if we're together, then that's the family. We'll, it doesn't matter where we are to a certain extent. I think going to the US well, I mean we lived in we lived in Shropshire you know it's full of cows and sheep so it was a real seamless transition over to uh, Nevada um, moving to the US was a bigger um, I suppose culture shock to a degree uh, than it was coming back to France the language is different over here but what I found is that you know we share a common history um, we are European in our mindset and that's nothing against the US at all but it's just a little bit different so no we loved the US that was, there was a, a few a few changes to make coming over to France um, yeah the language was a bit challenging to start off with and then we figured out we couldn't work in France because of our business interests in Luxembourg and the UK so we we, we, we we can't have any clients in France um, we have to have clients outside of France I Luxembourg UK and the rest of the world but apart from that it was it was pretty easy <laughs> fantastic and you've actually brought me in very nicely to talk about your clients um, so I'm not going to ask for any specifics, but you've got a wealth of experience of dealing with business owners. And in particular, rather than focusing on the business itself, a lot of it is about the mindset of a business owner. Um, if you were to summarise some key takeaways that you've learned along the way from the mistakes that your clients have made, what, what are the big nuggets that you could you could give the listeners to the show? Um, I, I've learned from where I 
came from, been very fortunate in terms of what I've been able to achieve. And I see for other people as well that when you start thinking big and thinking outside of what's expected, if you like, having bigger, brighter goals and, and not being too worried about the details, that's when the magic happens. So I think it's not thinking big enough, perhaps, and then fi- or, or finding excuses not to do it. Um, you know, we've got to get the kids through school or got to get the mortgage paid for or got to get the pension sorted out. There's loads of reasons why people don't either get into business in the first place or, you know, grow and build a successful business for themselves and just get rid of the excuses I guess they're not they're, they're valid to a degree but in a lot of respects they're not so I think it's the pace and it's the thinking big enough is the trick and that's something I think I think the work that I do with people most people that I work with they know what they're doing they know how to you know how to do what they do professionally my job really is to help open up the possibilities increase the pace and make things more possible for them, I guess. That's the real thing. So in answer to your question, I think it's that, yeah, going for it, having the, the opportunity of thinking bigger. Okay, so this is clearly something that you've been able to do in your own life as well as with your um, clients. Can, can you please just um, sort of open, open the doors onto this somewhat and um, talk a little bit about how you do this, how you help expand someone's mindset? Well, the, f- the first question I ask people, and this is something you can you can try this at the dinner table at home tonight with your your husband or your wife or partner, is literally to say to people, well, what what do you want? And it's a very simple question, but what I found is that a lot of people, and it was me back in the day, a lot of people know what they don't want. They don't want stress, pressure. They don't want to be made redundant. They don't want to go bankrupt. They don't want to be, you know, have a, a little life and all that sort of thing. But when you say to them, well, actually, well, what do you want? They, they, they tend not to know. So it's really defining what they do want, which sounds very, very straightforward, but it's the it's the goal, the vision, the dream. What is it that you want? What does success look like in 12 months, five years, 10 years? And, and enabling people to think about those things and put it into context. That's job number one. What do you want? And then as a, as a business coach rather than a life coach, what we do then is say, well, okay, you've got a business or a professional um, opportunity. How do we build your business such that it delivers for you what you want in terms of not just income, but lifestyle, travel, balance, the whole thing. Um, but the biggest challenge is figuring out what, what do you want? Because I think too many people, and I've done it myself, we, we settle. We don't think big enough. We the, the challenge always I've found is not is not that we choose big goals and, 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 and miss them. It's that we choose little goals and hit them. So we, we get that positivity from achieving small goals and therefore we get used to it. Whereas in reality, it's it's perfectly okay to shoot bigger. And you know, bigger is it, it, for me and for, our, for us in our business, we're always looking to grow and expand and build. You know, going to Vegas, coming to France and all the things that we've done. That was big. That was big stuff for us. And that's what I encourage other people to do as well. It doesn't mean you've got to go and live in France, but just that physical act of thinking bigger and and, and going for it. That's probably part of the key as well. And it sounds so simple when you say it, doesn't it? <laughs> it, it, it sometimes does. I suppose people say, well, what do you do? Well, I just get people to think uh, bigger. But, but it's one of those questions that I think we... Uh, avoid you know we tend to focus on what we want to get away from we want to get away from the heat and the pain and all that sort of thing but when when you say okay I understand that you want to make your life better but what does better look like what do you deserve you know what do you really want what did you want to do when you were a six-year-old you know what was your dream what did you want to do and it probably wasn't as a six-year-old you know I had this conversation in in, in one of the uh, organizations in Luxembourg we work with and uh, I said you know what's your dream as a six-year-old 
year-old to be a corporate lawyer within a financial institution in Luxembourg. And she said, well, no, of course not. I wanted to be a dancer. Well, great. Then you know, when are you going to be a, become a dancer then? It doesn't mean you, you, you quit and go off and just do that. But it's bringing the dream alive. We all, we, we all knew as six-year-olds what we wanted to do, but we get educated out of it and trained out of it. And, and the society doesn't encourage us to be dancers, musicians, or go and travel the world or whatever it is. We tend to go down the route of get a career, get a mortgage, and away we go. And that tends to, you know, calm us down a lot. So I think it's really just, you know, keeping what we've already got, but also just being open to the possibility there's something bigger and brighter out there. So I'm gonna I'm actually gonna go back to another how how do we question? Um, I mean, clearly, as you've said, there's a lot of um, conditioning through education, through society, um, through what's expected of us. And we all get pushed down a certain path. We're all a result of the paths that we've been pushed down from quite an early age. How, how does somebody best explore those, um, those hidden, those locked away, um, or even those unimagined desires, goals and dreams? Um, pra- practically, how, how does somebody do that? In, in, in simple terms, I think it's to find people that are outside of your frame of reference. Because if I, I remember, I, I remember I spoke to my dad when we had the offer to go to Vegas, and I said, "Dad, you know we're, we're going to Vegas." It was a classic sort of. There's a song there somewhere, I'm sure. We're going to go to Vegas, and he said, "Oh, you don't want to do that. You know, they're all they all carry guns, they're all crazy. It's full of loud Americans and all this sort of thing, whatever." Anyway, and of course he was he was right, but uh, but no, but he was saying that in order to protect. He wanted us as a family to be safe and secure and have a a nice gentle path. And I get that. He did it with the absolute best intentions. So if you want to get people to talk you out of doing crazy things, speak to your friends, speak to your family, speak to people in your network. If you want to open up the possibilities of what you could do, go and speak to people who've done it, who are in a different sort of framework, different path from you. Speak to the the artists and the painters and the sculptors and the travellers. Go and speak to those guys, and they're the people who will go, that sounds great. You know, somebody said, well, I want to travel the world in a yacht, you know, for example, which I have somebody who wants to do that. 90% of people will tell you it's dangerous, expensive, and you can't do it, and you, you know, you've got to save for your pension and that sort of thing. If you, if you want to do it, find some validation from other people to do it. So mix with, mix with different people. You know, get, find a different network to mix with. And, and don't ask people that you know are going to say no to your dreams. Ask people that are going to say yes as well. Now, get a balance, but find some people who will go, yeah, that's great, and away you go. Fantastic. And in terms of um, reigniting those dreams, so the last how-to question, I promise. Um, yeah, we, we're not going to ask you to do too much unpaid consultancy for the listeners. Um, but yeah, certainly the um, the act of going out speaking to people who've done what you want to do is um, is great and you know, certainly helps open the mind. But how does somebody actually define that vision board, define the set of goals in the first place? Is it just a case of, red wine and a dinner with their partner or 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 is there something deeper than that I, I don't think it has to be too deep. I generally, I, don't, I wouldn't make too much of it. I think it's, for, for me, or for us, we uh, sit down, we go out every, well, you know, 
three or four months and sit over a, a, maybe a coffee or a wine or something and we just say well wh- what's next where do we go what are we up to are we on track what, you know, what what's the adventure where's the next step in the adventure and that's that's stage number one to define what it is and it has to be congruent between you know you and your husband your wife your partner whatever it is make sure it fits well but once you're clear on what it is you want the trick then i found is to write it down actually write it down make a list on a bit of paper put it on the fridge do a dream board, get the images out there, make it real, make it visible, make it, you know, put it on the, the bathroom mirror in the mornings or whatever it is, bring it to life, actually bring it to life. Something we do at, at, at workshops, which really helps, and you can try this yourselves anyway, um, we do a thing called a letter to self. So we get people to come to an event or a workshop and we ask them to write themselves a letter dated 12 months ahead. And then we take the letter from them in an envelope, it's all sealed, we don't look at it, and we post it to them uh, 11 and a half months later and regularly the feedback we get is either well we changed our mind and didn't work or what people write down tends to show up in their lives as well so we post the letter back they read it and what they've written down you know dear Dave in the last 12 months you've done this this and this it tends to show up so it, it's bringing it to life it's bringing it making it real and then realizing that to, to, if you want to move let's, let's say you know you want to move to France or whatever it is um, you do something to move towards that position. Start, you know, maybe learn the language, visit people that are over there, find a town you want to go to, take some baby steps to bring the dream alive, and then you'll move move along with it. So I think it's, it is literally that, decide what you want, write it down, build a board for it, and then put some dates and times to it, and get somebody to hold you accountable. You hold, If you're a couple, hold each other accountable to it, do something there to you know, make sure you are moving things forward because you'll find excuses not to, and uh, put some dates together and away you go. Perfect. So Dave, what we're going to do now is run through the rapid fire questions. And the whole purpose of these is to help the listener understand who you are a little bit more and also take away some um, really good insights and information that they can research and have a look for themselves. So the first one, Dave, is a mastermind group. If you were to set up a mastermind group with three people, um, they can be dead or alive, fictional or non-fictional. Who would you choose? My goodness. Um, I'd go for Buckminster Fuller, I think, uh, a 20th century thinker. I'd go for, who else would I want around? My goodness. I'd go for uh, Winston Churchill, uh, another mid-century thinker. And I'd go for... Um, Marie Curie, because, uh, yeah, I can speak a bit of French as well. Fantastic. Next question is, I, I, I want to explore books, and you're not allowed to include your own books in this. Um, you, can give, you can give your own books a plug at the end if you really want. However, I, I wanted to ask, what, what is the number one book that you've recommended to other people? It would be a book called Influence by Robert Cialdini. And it's, uh, yeah, it's the uh, book of Psychology of Persuasion. Fantastic. Now, Dave, I know that you've recommended a number of books to me. Um, you know, I've, I've certainly done some episodes on a couple of them. What, what would book number two and three be? Um, I think it would be, my goodness, two and three would be, um, I think, Rocket Fuel. 
the one I think I know I think I, that was one of the ones I think I introduced um, to you guys and I can't think of the author but Rocket Fuel I've given it to a number of people as well it's about partnerships and how they work or can work really well it's critical in business and and the, the other one strange one would be one that I was given in 1994 that changed my life uh, in, in a positive way um, for a strange reason which I'll explain but it would be Fingerprints of the Gods by Graham Hancock okay um, so tell, tell me more about the reason. Uh, because it was brought for me on my birthday by Lynn, and I read it. Now, whether you accept what he's talking about, which is a, an alternative history of um, Egypt and all that sort of thing, um, but it, what it showed to me was uh, there's a different way of looking at received knowledge. Now, I'm not, I'm not particularly saying I agree with all that he says about pyramids and that type of thing, but what it did, it made, it made me aware that all that I've been taught in the past, there's an alternative way of looking at it, and that applied to lots of things. So it was powerful from that perspective of looking, taking a different perspective on things. Fantastic. Okay, so the next question, I think I know what your answer is going to be, and those who've stayed awake during the podcast will know the answer. What, what bit of advice do you wish you had received earlier? Oh, I <laughs> it would have been literally that volunteer, volunteer and trust. I got it a, a little bit, not late, but earlier, that would have been the same advice earlier. Fantastic. Uh, it's exactly as I guessed it would be. Um, the last one for you, Dave, is just looking at things that can potentially have a real impact on your quality of life, but don't necessarily cost a lot of money or take a lot of effort. What's the best purchase you've made for about 50 euros or less that's impacted your life positively in the last six to 12 months? Um, oh my goodness, in 50 bucks. What have we done for 50 bucks? Um, think, think, think. It would, have, it would have been the tickets that we bought to go to a concert at the Rock Hall in Luxembourg. And we saw a live band and it was Blink-182, for those that know them. We'd put it off for donkey's years. They were coming over to uh, Luxembourg on tour, went to see them, absolutely fantastic and just, yeah, amazing. So concert tickets, music is really, really important. Fantastic. Dave, it's been an absolute pleasure. I hope this um, this has been an introduction to the listeners. Um, the reason I say that is Dave and I will be doing some content days down the line. Um, we're really excited about these. This is where we will sit down maybe with a glass or two of wine, um, hopefully in the sunshine. Um, hopefully we'll book it in the summer month rather than now. Um, and we will just be bouncing off of each other about some subjects, about things that we might agree on, things we might disagree on. And for you, the listeners, it will be the opportunity to um, be a be privy, be a fly on the wall to um, what's going on in those conversations and the ideas and inspiration that come from those. But in the meantime, Dave, where can the listeners find out more about you? Oh, I'm easy to find. Uh, website is resultsrulesok.com. And if you just Google David Holland MBA, uh, the MBA is important because it gets me out of the way of everybody else that's called David Holland. David Holland MBA, you'll find me on LinkedIn. You'll find me everywhere. And uh, yeah, it'd be good to sort of connect on LinkedIn or get some messages. And, and you can email me at davidholland at resultsrulesok.com. Fantastic. Dave, thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you, Carl. Always a pleasure, mate. Thank you for listening to The Carl Reader Show. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and tell your friends. This podcast was brought to you by our sponsor, D&T Advisory, helping you unlock the magic in your business by adding value, not numbers. 
Find out more at www.team-dt.com. QuickBooks, helping UK small businesses stay on top of their finances.